Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm about to go away again. <laughs> That's why we're recording this episode a little bit early. By a little bit, we mean quite early. Yeah, quite early. So it's going to be a little harder to get the usual RPG news in here, but hopefully we can clean it up in case anything crazy happens, you know, in case Microsoft decides to buy Square. Oh my God, I might have spoken it into existence. Help. <laughs> and now you've uttered the curse, Cat, and we know who to blame. <sighs> Please leave me alone. I don't want to. <laughs> Did you see that the Xbox folks had to come in and reconfirm again? That, no, in fact, Starfield is not a timed exclusive. It is not coming to PS5. It is an Xbox Series X game because all of the PS5 fans are like going, oh, I didn't see that, but I, be- I totally believe that it happened because that's all Twitter is most of the time is people yelling at each other about Sony ponies and Xbox. I was just saying that I don't understand the insult Sony pony because ponies are cool. Like if someone called me a pony, I'd be like, hey, hell yeah, I'll braid my mane. That sounds awesome. They're ponies pretty. are awesome. They're yeah. ponies. Yeah, they're very pretty. And you know what? They have a they have the kind of attitude where they don't take any crap. They're very um, the way I hear it. They're very ornery compared to horses. So uh, I never had one as a as a kid. But of course, I guess like every little girl, I wanted one and ponies are awesome. I did not want a pony. I was not you a pony not girl. You did not want a pony? You were no. a pony girl? What did you want? Robots. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> video games. I was a weird girl. I mean, I, I like robots and video games too, but I just like- I wanted a spaceship. I wanted a TIE fighter. Come on. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. yeah. That's a little more, that's even more unachievable than a pony. Like, you're not getting a <laughs> pony when you're a child. You're certainly not getting a, a TIE fighter. My sister was the pony one. She was uh. into the ponies. She liked the horses. But, well, Nadia, this week we are going to be talking about video games, specifically RPGs, and specifically the RPGs that are coming out this fall. We are doing the fall RPG preview. We're going to be going through the next few months talking about all of the RPGs that we can think of that are coming out around that time, along with release dates. We're going to be talking about the big RPGs, the small RPGs, and all of the RPGs in between. We're going to be picking some potential sleepers, and we're going to be picking the one that we are anticipating the most. And that'll be a lot of fun. Before we get to that point, a little bit of housekeeping. If you enjoy the show, thank you for listening. Please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Uh, First of all, it brightens our day. And second of all, it improves the visibility of the podcast. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod with lots of exclusive content. Just wrapped up the Summer of the Rings, where we looked through the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, including The Hobbit. And also, we have our Pantheon of the Blood God. We just confirmed that Tales of Vesperia is the next game. We're going to be doing a monthly game club for that. And we have Disco Elysium. That should be up by Wednesday. It's already up as of the release of this podcast. (laughs) Surprise. Surprise. Yay. (laughs) That was a fun episode to record. That was. I thought that episode really went well. Like we uh, had a real good flow going on, which is befits a very conversational game like Disco Elysium, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't want to really give out a spoiler for the episode, but I love the fact you turned out to be a normal cop. <laughs> boring cop? Yeah. <laughs> the boring cop in the uh, Saturday Elysium world. I feel like I was exposed a lot in that particular podcast. <laughs> That's the problem with the game. It kind of gets to the heart and shows you who you are. All right. 
let's get started with this episode. First thing is first, Nadia, what is your sacrifice to the Blood God? What role-playing game are you playing this week to appease our Dark Master? Well, I just got my code to review uh, Tales of Arise, so that'll be my project for the next little while. I'm actually going to my parents' house to house it for them over the the, uh, Labor Day weekend, so I'm just going to kind of plug in the PlayStation 5 into their really, really crappy TV and uh, play at that for a, a, a while. Beyond that, um, <laughs> what are you gonna are you gonna plug that thing into a CR television or something? No, they just have you know a, a regular 180 HD television. It's just since I've upgraded to 4K, it's just uh, I have to go back. Those monsters! I? Those monsters! How dare they? And it's my old HD TV. I gave it to them. <laughs> how can they? How can you enjoy Tales of Arise in all of its glory? I, I mean, jeez, you surely can't give it a proper review. Oh, I think I can. I mean, I'm blind either way, so hey, what the hell? <laughs> Put it in performance mode, and at least oh, you'll yeah. get the 60 FPS. That'll be nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still a good TV. A good, solid TV. I'm sorry I insulted you, TVs. You're all right. Oh, TV. gave us many hours of entertainment. Other than that, um, I had a weird, weird craving for Picross, and I went ahead and I downloaded, uh, what is it, Murder by Numbers which is already freaking adorable. And I have like five minutes into the game. So I'm happy that I, I, I did that. That sounds delightful. It's a very, it, here's just like the kind of game it is. It is like a murder mystery slash visual novel slash Picross game. And I love Picross. I know it never really took off in America that much, but Nintendo and other Japanese companies have tried. And I think that rubbed off on certain uh, other developers as well. And you just start the game with this cute little robot who wants to help you. And he draws a picture of like a key that he wants to retrieve for you. But um, no, the key turns out to be the the picture turns out to be a picture of a tampon, not a key. So he's like, oh, I messed that up. And everyone's like, "Okay, little robot, I'm going over here now. It's just very (laughs) cute. I think one of the least controversial statements that you can make in the gaming space is I like Picross. Yeah, that's a good point. Lots of people do like Picross in the gaming space, I guess, because we grew up with it more than like. I don't know, people who, who just uh, like to do crosswords day to day. I loved 3D Picross for, I can't remember if it was with DS or the 3DS, but I really enjoyed that. Well, here's what's happening with me, Nadia. First of all, I discovered something really neat. There is a cool retro game store that opened across, like literally around the corner from my house. It's called Experience Share. It's in Alameda, California, and it has a Jaguar kiosk. <laughs> now we can go back and do the jaguar rpg quest proper justice well i mean it still doesn't have any rpgs but i can at least play right right in apparently oh really i've never yeah. played that really it's a it's a shmup but it's a really good shmup i didn't play very much of the jaguar at all i just remember seeing like trevor mcfur in the uh in, <laughs> in the, the crescent galaxy was that what yeah. it's called something like that, and thinking, wow, that looks so cool and still pictures, but then you play the game itself and it's awful, it looks Mm -hmm. awful, it sounds awful, it has no sound. So, yeah, that was the Jaguar, I suppose. Yeah, they also have a Sega Saturn kiosk, which is pretty neat. So That's pretty cool. That I'd love to visit. I really wish we'd get uh, not just Panzer Dragoon uh, Saga in uh, the modern times, but also something like Dragon Force. I'd love to play Dragon Force. Friend of mine here in the Bay Area is giving me a Sony PVM 1390 monitor with a SCART adapter, which is a lot of words to say that I'm going to be able to play retro games all pretty like. And I have a Super Analog NT and an FX Pack Pro 
and I'm going to be playing, get kicking it old school with a CR television when I get back from camping. And the first thing I've got is a patched Final Fantasy V that I've been oh. able to delve into. Now, not going to a... wait for the Pixel remaster. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> as God intended, with the GBA script and everything. Uh, yeah, because Pixel Remaster Four is coming out on the eighth, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, but five and six, as we'll discuss in this episode, is still not dated, as far as I know. Beyond that, I am playing a game called Wildermyth. I have dipped a toe into it. It is an indie RPG. It's an indie tactics RPG that came out a couple months ago. We haven't talked about it. We've had a few listeners be like, Kat, why are you talking about Pokemon Unite (laughs) instead of Wildermyth? Well, here we are. I'm talking a little bit about Wildermyth. It's sadly one of those games that passed under my radar, and I apologize. I've been meaning to get around to it, but it is pretty neat. Nadia, it's hard to describe, but basically the idea is you take these characters and you grow them over time. And decision by decision is how the story unfolds and it unfolds very organically. And eventually your characters age and die and their kids can take over the quest and everything. And a lot of crazy things can happen. And if crazy things happen during on the battlefield, that it gets incorporated into the story as well. It's basically like a living D&D campaign. Oh, that sounds fun. I feel like I heard the name Wildermyth in preview shows and thinking, oh, I actually really kind of like that name. So when you said it, I realized, oh, that was a game that was coming out. And I'm glad it sounds pretty okay. I think you would like it, especially once it came out on like Nintendo Switch or something. Like I might be able to convince you to play it. But I'm playing the tutorial campaign And one of the first decisions that you can make is, okay, so you have a character and then there's another character and you can decide, are they my rival? Are they my friend? Are they my lover? Are they my lover? And I picked a lover. I was like, lover, lover, lover. So you got these two gay guys who are like making eyes at each other the entire time. And then they're uh, another gal who is their pal (laughs) and she travels along with them and uh the the back and forth the repertoire i feel instantly like i know these characters who i've been kind of building on the fly like building their relationships on the fly it's really neat yeah that sounds really cool um imagine if pokemon had like aged up protagonists and you could choose like do you want your rival to be your friend your lover your your whatever (laughs) that'd be interesting i'd probably be into it because yeah pokemon can be pretty kitty at times i'm still uh i mean Red and blue are absolutely a couple, as in the older in the other games, like the oh um, yeah, they're traveling around. They're they're totally a couple. I love it. Blue's wearing the Hawaiian shirt. They're absolutely a couple by the time of Sun and Moon. All right, that is what we've been playing. Let's talk a little bit about the news. Most recent news as of the recording of this podcast, a big one. Apparently, Yakuza creator Toshihiro Nagoshi might be poached by Chinese mobile maker NetEase. They're the ones who are working on that. Diablo game, the Diablo mobile Oh, the Don't You Have Phones one. Yes, the Don't You Have Phones one. Yes, uh, that is what NetEase does. And Nagoshi hasn't been directly involved with Yakuza for quite some time. And he actually stepped down in his role as Sega's chief creative officer after he made fun of Puyo Puyo esports players. What a curious reality we live in. He made like a, a comment about, uh, see, Kat, you lived in Japan. Maybe you'll understand this insult more than I will. Uh, he referred to Puyo Puyo esports players as, um, like he was announcing a, a tournament, as people who like cheese beef bowls or something. And 
apparently that's a statement against class because uh, in a certain prefecture that was happening in, kind of known to be a little bit lower class and apparently Raymond- like working class, maybe. Working class, yeah. And apparently Raymond cheese bowls are popular there because they're filling, they're cheap. And yeah, that's basically how it was uh, insinuated as an insult. Well, um, it does cause me a little bit of disquiet. I'm gonna not going to lie because- uh, this is part of a bigger push by a company like NetEase to, I don't know, create their own Genshin, apparently. And so they're just going to poach the one of the best known Japanese traditional console makers to create another perpetual motion machine of a video game. A game that you're always supposed to be playing and you're always supposed to be putting money into. Never stop. Never stop engaging. But that's the thing is China just passed those laws about how I don't know if they're passed it, but they're certainly on the horizon where minors cannot play uh, online games for more than, I think, an hour a day, a certain time a day. And I think maybe two or three hours on the weekends. And there are actually like facial recognition technologies being used to identify rule breakers. So I could see, again, a company like NetEase has met they, their whole thing is make money, keep people on for as long as possible. So they might be saying, oh, my God, we need single player console games and we need them now because those aren't the ones that are under scrutiny. I could be completely off base. This is just something I've seen analysts say around the uh, around the Twitters. Maybe that's an interesting theory. Or it may be that they are going for traditional and familiar console makers because they're targeting the West who do not have these limitations. Right. That's a good point as well. Because I'm sure, I don't know what Genshin Impact's numbers are in the West, but I'm sure they're decent enough that the other companies are paying attention to the kinds of games we're playing now. Admittedly, I do not monitor the Chinese market closely, but I am aware peripherally of kind of a tech crackdown happening Mm, in China at the moment. They are really working to curtail the influence of companies like Tencent. And this comes straight from the top. And there's kind of a a cultural reshuffling going on. It's like going, we're very rich, we're very powerful, and now we need to get back to basics. We need to get back to grassroots from a cultural perspective. And that means weaning out a lot of the, you know, kind of the stuff that capitalism has brought us, the, you know, hyperspending, the kind of worship of Western values, the uh, dedication to playing video games, that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, I'm only just saying what I'm reading, but... Uh, I think this is kind of part of that. Yeah, that could it could definitely be the case. But again, I don't like you. I don't really keep on top of the Chinese news or anything like that. I just know that Tencent is actually extremely powerful, and you're absolutely right in that. It's see, I don't really know much about communism or the Chinese version of communism and what it is and what it isn't. But it does seem like spending tons and tons of money on a slot machine uh, is not exactly communist. Uh, ideology. And again, I know China's version of communism is quite different from what we think of is communism, but that probably doesn't really have much of a place in it either way. Yeah. If you want some good insight into what's happening in the Chinese market, I would say follow Zhuge-Ex. He is a market analyst who closely follows the Chinese market. So he has a lot of, a lot more insight in that regard, but I've learned about uh, quite a bit about the Chinese market just by following him and having conversations with him. Finally, Bravely Default 2 is getting a PC port on September 2nd. It's also sold nearly a million copies. Good job, Bravely Default 2. I think that actually Bravely Default 2 looks surprisingly good on Nintendo Switch. 
and sounds surprisingly good as well. But a PC port is always good because it'll get in front of more people. And also, it's a really good game. And so I yeah. look forward to modders coming out and finding ways to keeping it alive. I think Bravely Default 2 might be one of the most underrated games of the year. Yeah, it's definitely on uh, my list of underrated games. It was a really delightful little game, and you really can't go wrong purchasing it, or at least giving it a try. Um, I don't know if the demo is going to be on PC, but it's uh, definitely worth a, a look, because if you purchase it, you are getting a lot of game for your money. It has to be good to be able to keep my attention uh, as there much as go. it did. Like I, The <laughs> final, all the grinding where you had to get through the three final endings, like uh, that took me a solid weekend, but I was completely hooked on it for that weekend. It was pretty wild. There you go. It has cat seal of approval. Cat seal of approval. All right, that is it for the news. It's time to move on to the main topic. That's the RPG fall preview. Don't go away. All right, Nadia, it's time. The holidays are coming. It's September. All the big games are going to be released. And we are looking ahead to a interesting holiday season. Definitely some big RPGs to look forward to. Maybe maybe not the same kind of tentpole release that we have seen in previous years, like Cyberpunk or that kind of thing. Or maybe my mind is just narrow. And Final Fantasy XIV and Shin Megami Tensei V are those tentpole releases. Yeah, I would say we're not having anything tremendous on the level of, say, if Breath of the Wild 2 was coming out. Like, that would be a tentpole to me. Cyberpunk should have been a tentpole, but uh, we all know how that went. So I'm fine with just a quieter Christmas season. Again, to me, any games we get at this point with COVID and the Delta variant are, are freaking miracles, which is funny because it makes me feel like I, I feel like I wasted the whole summer just <laughs> kind of existing in a limbo. And now it's September. It's like, oh, well, um, I'm kind of sad that I did that. But at least there are great games coming. So yay. I feel like there's been a lot of great games released this year, but of a smaller nature. We haven't had the super blockbusters that we've been kind of used to. And as you already said, so much of that has been owed to COVID. Things have been pushed back into 2022. Looking ahead, 2022 looks freaking stacked. So maybe it's good that we get a break to catch up on our backlogs this year. Yeah, frankly, I've got plenty to play this year. Um, There are games I'm looking forward to, games that are kind of on the horizon, and I think, okay, those are going to be really worth watching. Uh, As you put down in the notes, there's always that kind of dark horse, that Hades or that Disco Elysium that comes up from behind and says, hey, everyone, I'm a great game. And everyone says, wow, you're a great game. So you can, you always have to expect that. It's There's never, I don't know, it's, it's been, it's rare to have a truly dull holiday release schedule. When was the last time we had a truly dull holiday release schedule? There you go. I, I can't even remember. But there's there always comes a time around, I don't know, let's say September, uh, not September, like summertime, where people are like, oh, this, ho- this holiday season is going to be so dull. Nothing cool is coming out. And then we have like Nintendo or someone or Sony says, hey, look at this really cool exclusive. We're dropping it now, uh, which reminds me there are rumors going around again of a Nintendo Direct. Take those as you will. I'm sorry, Kat. You have to cover that stuff now. I don't have to deal with it. I don't. I'm going to be on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever Nintendo gives us is not going to be, I would hope, during the the holiday. Um, that would be a really stupid move. Nintendo almost always has a Nintendo Direct around this time. Um, somebody was observing that Nintendo has had a Direct every year since 2016 in September. So this oh. would be right th- around the time to do it because 
I mean, they got some games that they want to promote. They got some indies to announce. And also, uh, they've got a new console to promote, the Switch OLED, which I have on pre-order. So, I actually managed to pre-order the Steam Deck. And I don't know how I did that. I just went to Steam and I pre-ordered it. Now, what that means is I put down $5 and they said, we'll call you or we'll, we'll let you know when you can actually order one. And I don't know if that means I'm guaranteed a link that will work. Or if they'll just like open the gates and say, get out there, you pigs, and we all fend for ourselves. But the point is, I put down $5, and I hope that means I get a Steam Deck, because I really would like one. Uh, you probably won't get one till like, what, mid-2022, if you pre-ordered one just recently? Yeah, it's uh, okay. it's it's there. <laughs> yeah, the people who are right there at the beginning, I guess, get to be kind of at the front of the line. I was not, Makes sense. I was not the earliest I mm. was impatient with my clicking. So I think I'm on the next rut. I'm the next wave, but right. so early 2022. But fingers crossed because I really, really want a Steam Deck. Oh my God. When I went down to LA, I was able to get Disco Elysium onto my laptop so I could keep playing. But I was like, God. Yeah, I'm actually thinking like Disco Elysium, when I continue playing it, I might just wait for the Switch version to come out and start again. And make sure I, I do as many drugs and drink as much alcohol. I'll keep all that intact. But I, it is such a good game to have in handheld mode mm. that I feel like it would do a, a lot more justice that way. Well, Nadia, let's talk about the games that we can look forward to this holiday season for RPG fans. And we'll start with September, the games that are just around the corner. One of them is Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. It's out on September 2nd. That is an isometric RPG. It is a sequel. We also have Final Fantasy IV Pixel Remaster. It's out on September 8th on mobile and Steam. Tales of Arise. That's the big one. That's the one that you're reviewing. It's out September 10th. Mm -hmm. Eastward. That's out on Switch. Game Deck. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's kind of trying to hit that Disco Elysium vibe. But... It's more of a cyberpunk adventure, I suppose. And then Nino Kuni 2 is coming to Switch, our favorite game over here on Axe of the Black God. Diablo 2 Resurrected. I feel like it's necessary that we call that one out. It's coming out on September 23rd on all of the various consoles and PC. We'll get to that in a second as well. Lost Judgment, if you want to call that an RPG, I would call that more of a beat em up, certainly compared oh, to. Yeah. Yakuza Like a Dragon, but it's RPG adjacent and certainly of interest to our listeners. New World is out September 28th. That's the Amazon MMO. And Astria Ascending, that is on all of the consoles. That's September 30th. And I would like to talk to that one as well. Nadia, which one kind of catches your eye coming up in September? And I'm going to guess which one it is. I mean, Tales of uh, Tales has to catch my eye because I'm, I'm reviewing it, but... Uh, I'd say Eastward probably, and um, Final Fantasy IV, uh, Pixel Remaster. Yeah, there's a, there's some good stuff in there, and I have to just get through what I can. It's not like I, it's not like there's not enough there to play. <laughs> I've got a lot to cover. Yeah, I think if I'm looking at the game that I'm going to focus on come September, it's going to be Tales of Arise because aside from Tales of Asperia, it's just going to be a very Tales focused month uh, coming mm -hmm. up because we got a lot of stuff planned. Go check out our calendar entry which should be alive over on the Patreon right now. But Tales of Arise, I think we've already said that I think the time off for this series, like five years, it's been five years since the last real Tales game, has really done this series good. And 
this game looks like one of the best looking and most proficient game in quite a while. It has moved the series over to Unreal Engine, which I think has really done wonders for the series. It looks gorgeous. And it has the benefit of beating its nearest competitors like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, arguably to the punch on next-gen consoles, unless you want to count the DLC for Final Fantasy VII Remake, which eh, is a new game. It's a new game. Yeah, it's a whole new game uh, for the next generation of systems. It looks really good, like you said. It's had that benefit of a rest, so people are ready for more tales. It's... um. Yeah, it also sounds great. It has a great soundtrack, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm still unsure about the story because I focused on that when I previewed the game, but we'll see how that turns out. It really seems to try to be capturing that Genshin Impact vibe, doesn't it? It's just very basic boy meets girl hero thing that I played for the preview, which I think was also on Rock, Paper, Shotgun. And it's fine, but again, Tales of Asperia, which we'll be talking about soon enough, it had much more, had much wittier writing and much more engaging characters from what I played of it. So uh, maybe things pick up. I can't say for sure yet. Pretty typical anime writing with a lot of characters yelling like this in very discerning tones that they're going to go and defeat evil. Very much so. And the Tsundere hero, uh, heroine who's like, I don't like you, you stupid baka, but we're going to end up together because of Destiny. I'm sure something will happen because of that. Tales of Destiny. Tales of Destiny. <laughs> that, there was one, wasn't there? Yeah. There was. It was one of the earliest ones, actually. It was the first, it was the first time I ever played a Tales game, actually. What was it for? Uh, it was for the original PlayStation. Oh, wow. Did you like it? It was all right. Um, I played it because my friend was super into Tales and he was like, you got to play Tales of Destiny. You got to play Tales of Destiny. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> and it looked like a pretty typical 16-bit RPG to me at that time because it was still a top-down side-scrolling affair at times. Um, it was remastered for PS2 and it was gorgeous. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, I didn't know not that. just remastered, remade. And right. it had like beautiful PS2 level uh, sprites and everything i was really impressed and i don't think that one ever came out in north america and i was really sad yeah tales fans are it's like i like tales but then you have tales fans i'm not quite at the, in the fans queue yet but that's where you get people like who we're gonna have on the show uh eric van allen who he'll tell you the history of the world if you ask for it i think tales of arise is one of the biggest question marks of the fall because i am really curious to see how it does i think that Let's just be honest, the anime aesthetic, the Genshin Impact look is in right now, and I think this will be an eye-catcher. Hasn't gotten a ton of a push, uh, generally, in terms of a marketing campaign and everything, but, you know, it has been covered by the media, and I want to see if people start talking it up, you know? It's funny, I was just thinking about how RPGs are in a very, especially JRPGs, are in a very interesting spot right now, where we're like casually mentioning, oh, Octopath Traveler, sorry, not Octopath Traveler, uh, Bravely Default 2 sold a million copies. That's great. And it is, but it's more or less like kind of what we expect now. Now we expect JRPGs to kind of hit that million mark. And especially if they come from bigger companies like Atlas or Square Enix. So it, I think to myself, well, if Tales of Arise sells fewer than a million copies, that's really bad for it. But it's funny that I can say that. There was a time when a JRPG would sell like, 
God, like 200,000 copies. Like, wow, that's really good for the West. That's really awesome. That's, uh, those days are gone. So here might be the kicker for Tales of Arise. If it comes out on Game Pass. Because yes. I Game Pass has shown that it can really elevate games that come out for it because a lot of people will try it out and they will be talking about it on social media and it will give it the oxygen that it needs to stand out from other games. We saw that with the kind of the burst of interest in The Ascent, for example. Uh, so far, I don't think that there has been an official announcement whether or not Tales of Arise will be coming to Game Pass. There's been a lot of rumors to that effect, but given that Tales of Vesperia is on Game Pass, it seems like it's going to happen at some point. Yeah, and I think that will be very good for the game. As you said, it gives those kinds of games more oxygen on, on social media and gives it more exposure that way. Because not everyone has Game Pass, but if they trust, say, an influencer who tried the game on Game Pass, they're like, okay, I'll buy it for my PlayStation or my PC uh, if they don't have Game Pass there. So yeah, you're right. Beyond that, it's a really pretty looking game. What can I say? It's a, It's definitely, I don't know if it's the kind of game that you would like pick as a showpiece game for your Xbox Series X, but it definitely is really good looking, especially with the high frame rate. I'm getting more and more uh, spoiled about getting 60 frames per second. Oh God, I love the 60 frames per second. It's amazing. <laughs> it's admittedly very smooth and nice. And the combat is just pure insanity and has anime characters yelling at one another. And then the next thing you know, you're it's over. And you're like, well, I don't know what happened. But anyway, continuing on. <laughs> I do like how uh, Tales of Arise gets rid of the kind of battle scene where you, you tally up your loot and stuff. It was cute and funny in Vesperia where like characters would kind of banter with each other. But in Tales of Arise, it just saves so much time. You're in an encounter. You're done. You're you get your your rewards listed on the side, and you're off to the next thing. That's really handy. But they do still have the the you know the banter, the banter. Oh yeah, yeah. Another, yeah. To the, the the banter mode, the banter. Yeah, it's all gotta there. have the banter. Gotta have the banter. The bants, the bants, and maybe an underrated element of Tales of Arise, Nadia, the fast loading times. Yes, it oh moves my God. so fast between battle screen and not battle screen. It's just wonderful. I just. Every time something loads directly into the gameplay, I'm just like, yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's the transition I was talking about just a minute earlier. It's just, boom, you're done. There's And thinking about it, I guess that's why we had those victory screens back in the day, because they probably disguised a lot of loading time in the CD versions of these games. Don't need that anymore. It's just you're, you're there, you're here, you're done. I've been really, uh, I can't go back to what we had before after Solid State Drives. It's just, I'm spoiled. I'm done. Forget it. Especially with uh, Final Fantasy XIV, where you teleport to another town. It's pretty much instantaneous. As for games that can be this year's Hades, we have a couple of interesting candidates for this month, Nadia. One is Eastward, which we've already highlighted. It's kind of a more of a Zelda type game, definitely an action RPG. But the world, oh my God, the world is just lavish. And I'm really hopeful that it holds up throughout the uh, course of the game. And I hope it has plenty of depth to it. I guess we will see. And the other one is Astria Ascending, which mm -hmm. is by a couple of notable folks who've been associated with Final Fantasy. One of them is the composer of Final Fantasy XII. And the other one is writer Kazushige Nojima, which people will know as the writer of Final Fantasy VII and various other Final Fantasy games. So some real pedigree to this one, Nadia. 
and I sent you the trailer for it, and I said, Nadia, this looks like precisely your kind of nonsense, because <laughs> it basically looks like a Vanillaware game, but it's a turn-based RPG. Yeah, it looks like uh, a lot of fun. That's I actually kind of forgot about that game. I know it's another game where we saw a, a preview at the beginning of the year. I think the, the trailer gave me went back to March. And I thought, wow, it looks really amazing. I'll keep an eye on that. And I promptly forgot because I have the mind of a two-year-old. But I'm glad that it's back in the discourse now because it looks really, just really great, really cute. It reminds me more of Crystal Chronicles than anything. Not to say we're carrying around like uh, uh, the whatever we carry around in Crystal Chronicles, but it does have that aesthetic. It does have that race design, I think. Very, very, very similar to that. So I hope it turns out more fun than Crystal Chronicles. That's all I'm asking. I got a uh, I got a preview code actually, and oh. I played some of it, and I can confirm it's still it does look in fact very good in motion on my PC, and I kind of am intrigued by the notion of heroes who are coming together, but they're only going to live for like three years, and they're making the ultimate sacrifice. And this particular cohort has been united in this instance, and. Um, Interesting stuff. Um, the turn-based combat seems quite in-depth. In I, I believe you have a six-person party in yes. this game. So uh, that's a lot of characters, and that offers a lot of tactical options, I think, that I enjoy. And I, I don't know if the battle sequence or the graphics quite translate to the battle. I think that the actual particle effects and everything are a little bit more understated, and it starts to look like it in any game at this point but <laughs> the actual moving around the the open world if you can call it that very vanillaware and i appreciate it yeah so you've played it and you just said something about them living for three years that's uh yeah, it's like the the that's the concept is that you become these warriors right and right the trade-off is that you only get to live for three years oh my god like is it like okay i want to I want to have this enormous power, but I can only live for three years. Yeah, I'm cool with that. It's more okay, of I'm a gonna... sacrifice kind of situation. Okay, I was like... going to say, because it's not really much of a great trade-off. It's not a long no. time to live. No, you're you're doing a service. You are warriors who are coming in to make the ultimate sacrifice, but you're going to die. You are the fated eight. It's like, that, not the hateful eight, the fated eight. And I suppose, out of obligation, I am going to mention Diablo II Resurrected. Obviously, as we know, Activision Blizzard is going through a lot of allegations, etc. We've talked about them on this podcast. You are well aware of them. Uh, something that stood out to me actually was somebody was asking David Brevik, who has been on the show before, was one of the ah. key designers of Diablo 2, whether or not he was going to stream a campaign of Diablo 2 Resurrected. And he said, I am not doing anything to support Blizzard at the moment. So that kind of tells you where the mindset of a lot of people is. And frankly, it's too bad that Blizzard has been so toxic because Diablo 2 Resurrected, as I've said in my preview before, when I played the alpha, it was like amazing. Like it was an incredibly well done remaster. I was so impressed by the work that Vicarious Visions did. And it's just a shame that this is that that great work is going to be overshadowed by all of this. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that because the team, there's nothing nothing to blame against them they've been working really hard on this game that frankly was supposed to lift blizzard after the, the disaster of warcraft 3's remake and by all accounts like you said it's supposed to be very good but a lot of people understandably just not are not in the mood to support blizzard and i i can't blame them i'm not 
I have to be honest, I was looking forward to this, but I'm not really not really planning to touch it for a while. I'll say that. Yeah, I don't really plan to, you know, pick it up or give it a review, that kind of thing. There will be other games uh, to be focused on this month because looking at September, it's actually a, a fairly busy month. There's like plenty to keep my attention over time. So I can kind of put Diablo 2 Resurrected to one side. But this is what I will say. I do think that this game is going to end up having some legs. It will have a community. People will play it. And if there's one thing that I've seen, when fun, shiny game comes out, people are willing to put aside (laughs) their righteousness real quick. Like thinking about the Tokyo Olympics, for example, which it was so scandal ridden, had so many problems, so many terrible problems. But when it came down to it, people just freaking watched the Tokyo Olympics. I have to admit, I did not. But I did I, not either. I like specifically boycotted it. Yeah, I just uh, I, I'm not huge on the Olympics to begin with, and the whole thing seemed kind of, as you said, so so scandal ridden, so sad. So this should not happen right now. That I was just like, you know what? I don't want to watch something that's just frankly tainted. I'll I'll have other things I can do with my time. Moving on to October, Nadia, we got two RPGs of note. One is the Caligula Effect 2, October 19th. It's on Nintendo Switch. It's from Atlas. I cannot believe this game is getting a sequel, but whatever. It's like one of those games uh, kind of on the level of Neptunia, I suppose you could say. I Um, have never played it. I do not know a whole lot. Just But the name kind of rings bells in my mind, and I don't know if they're good bells or bad bells. Kind of looks good on a trailer, but the basic concept is that you're trapped in a virtual world by what I guess I might call a Vocaloid. Because <laughs> they, you know, they got that Hatsune Miku kind of thing going on, but right. they're an artificial creature and you're trying to get out of the matrix, as it were. So, but in an oh. RPG form. That sounds kind of cool. That's um... all right. It's all right. Uh, but the original Caligula effect, very uh, clunky kind of game very middle of the road and it seems like Caligula effect two is probably going to be the more of the same, but you know, uh, there, it will have its usual people who are playing it. And I think we know who it will certainly have its fan base. Uh, it sure will. Go, go for it, man. Hey, I don't want to insult anybody who finds joy in Caligula effect two. You know, this world's on freaking fire. You play whatever the heck you gives you joy, right? <laughs> At this point, you may as well. Will it be fire? Will it be plague? Who knows? That's the, fu- maybe Caligula will kill us all. Who knows? <laughs> You just don't know at this point. Because God knows I'm going to be playing Super Robot Wars 30, which is coming out at the end of October. And that's no better, honestly. <laughs> it's going to be out October 28th on PC. It is going to have, it's kind of a celebration of 30 years of Super Robot Wars because it was 30 years ago this year that it came out on the Game Boy originally. Ooh, wow. And to celebrate that, it's going to have multiple old classic series. It's going to have mobile suit gundam the original which i'm super excited about this has been quite a while before it's had uh those games um pretty good roster in general and as usual it's beautiful and this is a big one nadia it's coming out on steam for north american players so if you have a north american steam account you can just pick it up in english which i did that's a that's a really big step getting onto steam and uh, kind of getting out there for the western players I thought I saw some news saying that you can upload your own playlist again. I don't know if that's something that you couldn't do before or not. I remember you saying there's a lot of drama behind the music. Yeah, because of all of the rights issues. It's the problem. Yeah. 
There's a premium sound version. I spent like $120 on this freaking game to get the premium oh, right. sound version. That premium I'm sound sure version. there'll be a mod that will allow you to upload your own music. Here are some of the shows that will be in Super Robot Wars 30. They have a complete list over on Polygon. Oh my God, Nadia. A complete <laughs> list over on a mainstream website. It's amazing. What a lovely reality we live in. Combattler V, which is a 1970s show that's been around since the very earliest days of the series. Mobile Suit Gundam, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, uh, Mobile Suit Variations of Zeta, Char's Counterattack, Victory Gundam. That's a big one for me. Oh my God, Nadia, that is the most sexist Gundam ever. It's incredible. <laughs> Cat wants a sexist Gundam. It's gorgeous, though. It's a beautiful, beautiful show with great music, and it's kind of the last of the classic 1980s, 1970s Gundams. It, the show, uh. the series very much changed once Victory Gundam happened. Gundam NT, which is bad. <laughs> Here it is. El Gayum or El Gayum or whatever. That is a classic 80s show that has great music. I've been very, and it hasn't been around since I think Super Robot Wars F. I know that it was on, I think, the free to play game. Like it's been in uh, some of the bad side ones, but not since a, not since the like Sega Saturn has El Gayum wow. been around. So it's been quite a while. I'm not familiar with Brave Police Jay Decker, but I'm sure people are excited about it. Gao Geiger, which has been in several games recently. Code Geass, popular mm. with the kids. Oh, you know? the kids love the, that's the drill to heaven, or yours is a drill yes. that pierce to heaven, right? No, yeah. no, no. Uh, code, I, I think you're thinking of uh, Garen Lagan. Code you're Geass. right, Garen Lagan. Uh, code Geass is where the British Empire has conquered the world. And so you're following a Japanese school kid's who live in a world where the British have conquered them or something. Wow, that actually sounds kind of interesting. And it's an inversion of your classical uh, Gundam things, right? Like, it's kind of a send-up of those tropes. Anyway, it's worth watching, I think. A lot of people are into Code Geass. It came about, out about 10 years ago. Get a Robo Armageddon, Mazinger Z Affinity, Mazenkaiser, which I'm excited about, Magic Knight Rayearth, that's kind of you, Nadia, Gun X Sword, which was in SRWT, Majestic Prince, Night and Magic, and SSSSS Gridman. <laughs> that's, what the, that's the ones the snake owned. <laughs> the Gundam for snakes. I'm not familiar with that one, but I think that there were some fans who were quite excited about Gridman coming out. And I just sat here reading the entire list of Super Robot Wars 30. <laughs> this is what you're getting, especially if you're a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Yes, thank you very much. You can sit here and, and listen to the uh, the uh, Super Robot Wars report every week by Cat Bailey. <laughs> and it looks great. And I really enjoyed SRWT. And you can get them all on Nintendo Switch in English. It's wonderful. What a world we live in. It sounds like it's a, a extremely worthy tribute for a 30th anniversary. That's, uh, there's a lot going on there. The, they're going for the old fans, namely Cat. <laughs> they're reeling you back in. They're reeling me back in, Nadia. Yeah. Because they know that they can get Americans. That's the they, thing. Oh, absolutely. There's enough Americans out there who are completely nuts over mechs and stuff. If I recall correctly, SRWT might have sold better in America than it did in Japan. And there you go. So they've, they've realized uh, they know this. And that's good because I can tell you, as a Mega Man fan, for a very long time, Japan just couldn't grasp that we like Mega Man in the West. They were surprised every time they heard it. And it's like... They're not releasing any games. And we're over here in the West saying, hey, we like Mega Man. We like Mega Man. And they're just like, wow, the West likes Mega Man. Yes, for the 30th time, we like Mega Man. Please give us some games. 
And Mega Man 11 was kind of a low budget game, but I think it sold more than a million copies. Like, I think it oh, did yeah. all right, all things considered. It, it's actually the best selling Mega Man game uh, to date. Yeah, I'm surprised that they haven't gone after X because I think, especially if they did a really good job with it, that Hell it would yeah. garner some attention and would probably actually turn a profit. But so many companies like Capcom, like, we don't care. We're just going, all we care about is the big hits. We don't care about these little wins. Yeah, well, I can say, though, that like the uh, uh, plug, plug, plug Maverick Hunter field guide, which my husband and I wrote, is out now. And I'm pretty sure it's sold through its initial run, because if you try to buy it now, it says coming September 8th or something like that. I know we're number one right now in arts encyclopedias, which is I, I know it's a niche, but that's still pretty cool. That's amazing, Nadia. Congratulations. Thank and you. By the way, actually, the plug guide listeners, go pick it up. OK, let's continue on to November, Nadia. Here's what's happening. Some, these are the big games, obviously. One is, holy shit, Skyrim again. <laughs> Notes brought to you by Nadia. Yeah, it's going to be on the Xbox Series X and the PS5 and PC, and it's got fishing now. I have to admit, I'm really probably going to be a sucker for the fishing. I would play again if there was fishing. There was a good gag from the Breath of Fire Twitter account saying, welcome to the... G- welcome. You're only like 20 years too late, Skyrim. <laughs> hey it's uh i mean uh, i know where they're coming from because breath of fire 3 for my money has the best fishing minigame ever so it better be good better better to be good uh skyrim because i have to say red dead redemption 2's fishing really disappointed me so you gotta do better than them i know what i'm gonna do nadia i'm going to download skyrim i'm gonna install it on my xbox i'm gonna load it up i'm gonna play through the intro maybe even the character creator, and then I'm going to turn it off and not play it again. (laughs) That seems like the likeliest path for myself as well. Because I've played this game. I got plenty of other games. Skyrim holds a special place in my heart, but maybe I've done this. I've been there, done that. I've had that experience. Yeah, I am curious to see how the glitches manifest in the next generation. That's going to be pretty good. That's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Todd Howard is going to say, He's already said, look, if you don't want us to make more Skyrim, stop buying it. You're still buying it. Jeez. I have to give him props for being honest. I always think of that bit from Spaceballs. It's like, Skyrim the the tablecloth. Skyrim the bath mat. Like everything Skyrim. Skyrim the sequel, the search for more money. Coming on November 12th, Shin Megami Tensei 5, which is definitely the most anticipated game by a certain cohort of rpg fans november 19th also on nintendo switch it's a good month for nintendo switch pokemon brilliant diamond and shining pearl the question mark low budget remake of pokemon diamond and pearl the fourth generation that constantly gets shafted by pokemon <laughs> company and finally final fantasy 14 Endwalker, november 23rd pc playstation this is where i clear out and allow our Final Fantasy fourteen nut <laughs> to hold forth about why we should be so excited about Endwalker. Well, I mean, it's the conclusion of a 10-year story. That's that's a pretty big deal because nobody really knows what's going to happen after. Obviously, the game's still going on. It's not going anywhere. But where are we going to go after that? What's going to happen to these like characters that we spent like literally a decade with? What's going to happen to the world that we've been on for again for a decade and uh we know that the same writing team is on it that was on Shadowbringers so I think that we're going to get a pretty 
pretty epic thing, pretty epic ending. I will say that the moon in Final Fantasy XIV is turning a little strange. People have noticed there's a hole growing <laughs> in the moon. No big deal. The moon is going to be a major setting for Endwalker. So the fact that there's a hole in it is not good because the last time Square Enix did something like that was when 1.0 was transitioning to 2.0. And that was, those are some really incredible events. Even if you don't play Final Fantasy XIV, Cat, you should take time to look at like the transitions that the game went through as it went to um, a realm reborn because they, they did that. Like they did stuff like that. Like everyone's minding their own business. And all of a sudden they notice the moon is getting closer and it's red and it's angry and it's not slowing down. And players were waking up after having nightmares and about the moon falling and, and things dying. And they just did a really, really good job doing that transition. It was a very, very haunting time for the game. So I'm hoping that we get a little bit of that atmosphere going on when we, as we transition to Endwalker. The setups in these online games can be pretty neat. I will say that. Yeah, I mean, even Fortnite, when I was covering Fortnite for US Gamer, God help me, I w- did find myself quite interested in some of the the events going on. Like there was always something apocalyptic around the corner and scene back then. And I thought that was actually very clever of Epic. Yeah, and Final Fantasy XIV is bigger than ever. They just can't keep up with uh, the amount of interest in it as people migrate away from World of Warcraft over to the other hot new RPG that has actual storytelling. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the storytelling situation is in Warcraft. I hear it's fine, but fourteen is definitely a story-based RPG, as we've gone over many times. And I think people are jumping on, not just because of World of Warcraft, but also because Endwalker is coming. I think they have the idea that they can finish the main quest before Endwalker starts and don't force yourself, just have fun. The I actually jumped into the game when they were kind of in the middle of Shadowbringers and I, I'm i glad that I just kind of took the game at my own pace and didn't try to catch up and see what was going on with Shadowbringers. I just enjoyed myself for what was going on. I have to play through like three expansions just to get to Endwalker. It's ridiculous. I don't have that time. It's worth it. It's It's worth it. I mean, I would like to play in Walker for sure, but geez, I mean, every one of these expansions is like 60 hours of content. One thing that we were talking about on Charlie and Dropouts, again, plug, 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 uh, Mike has extensive knowledge of Final Fantasy XIV and World of Warcraft, and he has that very interesting contrast going on, which makes him such an interesting co-host. He was kind of saying how Final Fantasy XIV has been growing vertically since 1.0, whereas... World of Warcraft used to do that, but it can't anymore because it's too big. It's too long. So it started growing kind of horizontally instead. And he's wondering, well, is it going to come a time when Final Fantasy XIV has to kind of do that that uh, horizontal growth as well? Because you can't just keep adding stuff onto an MMORPG. Things will topple down eventually. And so I hope that the team at Final Fantasy XIV can really kind of keep things balanced, keep that Jenga tower in check. I think they will. They're extremely good. Keep me, correct me if I'm wrong, Nadia, but it seems like one of the things that World of Warcraft has been getting in trouble with is that it keeps adding these mechanics and they keep fundamentally altering the way that the game kind of plays, whereas Final Fantasy XIV has been more or less consistent. They just keep adding you know, fun extra stuff, like being able to build houses and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's kind of what Mike went over, and I don't understand it fully because, again, I don't play WoW, but he says... WoW expansions are all based around a gimmick or a mechanic. And once you're done with that expansion, the mechanic is gone. I guess think Pokemon. It's like that, except much more frustrating because you put so much more work into your character in a, in a game like WoW. And then to have that 
that stuff vanished with the next expansion. Uh, I guess it would be like I was playing Final Fantasy 14 and I was a Dark Knight and I'm like, hey, I love my Dark Knight. And then Final Fantasy 14 next expansion comes out and they say, no more Dark Knight. Now you have to be this or be nothing else. I can see why that would certainly piss people off. But yeah, that's not necessarily WoW's fault because again, it grew so big. It had to, it couldn't keep stacking on top of itself. It's a very, very unique problem to MMORPGs. Hear me out. They should let you be able to go through a tutorial in Final Fantasy XIV that allows you to basically get your character up to speed really quickly while effectively getting a cliff nose version of what happens in A Realm Reborn so you can get straight to Heaven's Word. Oh, you can do that. You have to pay for it. But that it's not the same though, right? Like this is just this that's just a straight up skip, right? Yes, but you can, I guess you can go back and read what happened. You don't get like a, or maybe you do get a video or something of what happened. I honestly don't recall. I will say, though, that I did that with one of my characters because I wanted to play on the servers that my friends were playing on. And it didn't feel right. Even though I'd already gone through A Realm Reborn, I felt like I'd been cheated of something. And not only that, I paid to level up a bard to the maximum level. And that felt like nothing because part of the job process in Final Fantasy is going through the quests learning what you have, uh, kind of experiencing it in the context of the world. So I started the game up. I have this level 80 bard. I'm like, well, I don't know what this means. This doesn't mean anything to me. I have all these buffs. I don't know how to use them. In the game, the story would have shown you how to use these buffs, how to use these debuffs. But if they just hand it to you, it's not nearly as fun. It feels very, very strange. That's why I was saying they should do a mega condensed version. The short, short version for like, you know, that can be completed in like five hours. But by the time you get through it, you have a grasp of what's been happening in the world and you have a character that you kind of understand and like you don't feel like you're just hitting the fast forward button. Yeah. But yeah. so much of so much of the thing that's keeping me away from Final Fantasy 14 is that a realm reborn is so boring. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's pretty it's boring, fine. Nadia. It's a lot of like very mechanical fetch quests. And there are moments when it's good. There are moments where I'm like, I'm into this. And there are mm-hmm. moments where I'm just like very like glassy eye just being like oh get the thing get the thing get the thing it is pretty bad for fetch quests in the beginning yeah to say so you uh, can condense that there's no the only reason that you would keep it is because people might pitch a fit and say that like they're not getting their money's worth in which case just keep the original too whatever yeah yeah include the the cliff notes version as well and i think that there is a way to do this but well, Final uh, Final Fantasy Dragon Quest is uh, doing a condensed version of ten. That's exactly what you're describing. And unfortunately, I don't think it's coming west, but it is a great idea. Here's a single player version of this game. Uh, I don't know if it goes up to the most recent expansion or any expansions after that, but it's yeah, it's really not a bad idea. But by God, I don't think the team has time for that. Well, for people who actually do like single player RPGs, there's another big one coming out this fall in November. It's- one of the biggest JRPGs of the fall, for sure, right alongside Tales of Rise. I would say that from a kind of a critical darling standpoint, it will definitely be more popular, though I don't know if it'll sell more than Tales of Rise. Mm. I guess we're going to see, especially because Tales of Rise might get that Game Pass bump and because it kind of looks like Genshin Impact and it's so much more accessible. But Shin Megami Tensei Five, a game that has been in the works for four years at this point and honestly looks a heck of a lot like Shimigami Tensei Nocturne. 
It does. And I enjoyed Nocturne a lot. We have that Pantheon episode for you to go back to. But it was the, the way I put it in the episode is that it makes me excited for five because I did like three. But there's a lot of mechanics, even with the revamp that was holding it back. And I was just a little bit like, um, you know, I don't really have time for this. But five looks like it takes that really creepy atmosphere that three does so well and makes a modern sort of game out of it. And I'm curious to see if anyone who loves Persona will jump onto the series with Tsunami Game of Tensei 5, because that'd be, that'd be a hell of a transition to go through. Well, you know, you have the same way that you have Final Fantasy fourteen stands going, have I told you about Final Fantasy fourteen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. There are people who are like, Shimagami Tensei is the best one. It's better than Persona. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard plenty of that. But they're so different. They're so... They are. I, different I vibe. Them for very different, like, yeah. superficially similar, but very different vibe. Yeah, you will have a little bit of culture shock when you... Like, the thing that surprised me the most was how different demon handling feels in Persona versus Shin Megami Tensei. Shin Megami Tensei, they feel a lot more disposable. My first was uh, Strange Journey Redux, which is a good one to come in on. And I was surprised at just how you don't have the personal bonds with the demons that you do in Persona. And that is actually does make a difference to me. But it's very... Shin Megami Tensei always has a good story, but it is definitely very mechanics-based compared to Persona. If it's anything like the last two SMT games, it'll be dense as hell, very long, there'll be multiple endings, and somebody's going to go crazy and become a demon. <laughs> Potentially. You might become good. I don't know. Yeah. And you'll be aligning from light and dark with the devil. Who knows what's going on? Yeah, you can, you, can, so you can piss off Satan. What else do you need? But superficially, at least from an aesthetic standpoint, it does have that kind of same vibe as Nocturne with the desert and everything. Yeah, yeah, kind of the desert destroyed world atmosphere. I don't know what four had. Four was a city, wasn't it? Four like it had more of a samurai kind of vibe initially, but then you go into like cyberpunk Tokyo, right? Wow. Like the difference is jarring, and you get very lost in Tokyo. <laughs> That's what I was like. Where's Hueno? I can't find it. Oh God! And I was trying to review this game, and that was a friggin' nightmare. Oh, no. Oh, no, that sounds terrible. That does sound like a nightmare. I think one of the benefits that Shin Megami Tensei Five will have is that a, it's a Switch exclusive, so therefore it's going to be getting a lot more attention than, say, Tales of Arise might in some ways, especially from Switch stands. And also, it's a lot prettier than Nocturne. So it is, I think, going to be a lot easier to get into. I think it is definitely the kind of game that hopefully, fingers crossed, it runs well on the Switch. You can curl up on the couch. Enjoy it. Grind through uh, demons. Uh, we'll see if the dungeon crawling is as intense as Nocturne. I don't think it will be. And it could be more accessible than people give it credit for. Well, I would hope that it, it knows how to use the Switch's hardware because this has been announced since the earliest days of the Switch. So I would assume they've been working on it and they have a good handle on how this, this stupid little machine runs by now. You just never know. Like It can be True. so variable because... I mean, Monster Hunter Rise looked really good on the Switch and ran really well on the Switch, but then Monster Hunter Stories was just gobbledygook at times. I think they improved it because I played a hell of a lot of Monster Hunter Rise, uh, uh, sorry, Stories 2, and by the end, I was just noticing some slowdown on the bigger areas, but it still ran very well, and the monster designs and movements were just wow. So 
So SMT5 is described as in terms of goals to depict and sympathize with modern issues such as unemployment, unease about retirement, terrorism, and nuclear weapons, and problems at home. So an SMT game. And the game is developed as a hybrid between the profound charm of SMT3 Nocturne and the demon-raising gameplay in SMT4. I don't know if I would call SMT3 Nocturne charming, but it is something. Charming is certainly a word to use for that if you're a little bit screwed up in the head, I suppose. That is not a charming game, but I guess they mean that nostalgic sort of, since it was like such a genre-defining game, maybe they mean like kind of charming in a nostalgic way, I would assume. It's being developed in Unreal Engine 4, which I think will benefit it a lot. That's the same engine as Tales of Arise, I might mention. And it's also Atlas's first time actually developing for the platform, straight up Ah. making a game for it rather than porting something to it. The higher hardware capabilities of the Nintendo Switch meant that the demons in the game look approximately three times as long to develop when compared to previous SMT games. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting, because they have, when you go back to games like Persona 5, they already have 3D models for those demons. Like, the demons are iconic between the two series, and they've rarely changed much between the games, with with some exceptions. So, I guess they just did them all from scratch? New engine. Oh, okay, Persona 5, I guess, didn't run on Unreal. You're correct. Persona 5 uses a specially created engine for the game. And finally, coming out in November, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl. And I have said already that I have a lot of very strong feelings of affection for Gen 4. A lot of that is to do with the specific circumstances of my life at that time. It's the first uh, Pokemon game that I played in Japanese. I was highly involved in the Japanese Pokemon community at the time over on Serebii. And I just, it brings me back, honestly, because that was when I was living in Japan. I don't know if it'll be able to capture those feels, but I hope so. I'm a little dismayed because I wish that it kind of took the ideas that were put forward in Sword and Shield and refined them while keeping in the Sinnoh region, but beggars can't be choosers. At least I'm getting Chimchar into Sword and Shield whenever it gets Pokemon Home compatibility in 2022. Yeah, there you go. You get Chimchar. What else do you need in life? What else do you need? And the battles look pretty good, too. I think it looks like a, a really cute game. I think I said this in the last episode, but I loved Pokemon Let's Go, and I'm kind of glad it's getting that follow-up. I'm sure many people disagree with me, but I just you, sometimes you just need a really light, cute Pokemon game that the kids are going to love. And this is what Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl is. Hey, I got it right, finally. And I think for a more hardcore experience, albeit a different one, we're going to have to wait for um, Legends Arceus. So there you have it. If you have a Nintendo Switch, then you're in good shape for November. You really are. You can't. Yeah, you're you're going to have lots of food. Now, Nadia, we haven't listed the games that are still undated, and there are a few. They include Witcher 3 for the Xbox Series XS slash PS5. Yes, it is still coming out, according to CD Projekt Red, and it's going to have items from the netflix series oh my god <laughs> yay items yay. from the netflix series i guess there were exclusive kind of items in the netflix series versus the games huh in all seriousness i am going to port my save over and finally beat blood and wine yeah that's right you can port your save over that's good yes i'm very excited to be able to do this that's going to be a really that's going to be really cool for you because you know what the game looks like very thoroughly like in your mind what it looked like on the PS4 and making that jump to the PS5 is going to be pretty incredible. 
Xbox. Xbox, I'm sorry. Right. I will have gone from Xbox One, and then they updated it for the Xbox One X. I'll go. I played a whole bunch of it on Xbox One X, and we'll finally finish it on Xbox Series XS. I've played through the main game and the expansion. I'm finally going to beat the good expansion. I've been waiting for this moment for like two years, Nadia. I just love the fact that we have games that span generations. Like, oh, I started this game on the Xbox One. Uh, it kind of went more into it with the Xbox uh, One X. Uh, now we're going into Xbox Series X. So this, we're going to bring it home on the third act. Disco Elysium is also coming out on the Switch and the Xbox uh, supposedly this fall. And I think that Disco Elysium potentially being on Game Pass and Nintendo Switch will be great for getting it in front of a broader audience. It did have reportedly some tech issues on the PS4 or PS5. So I'm hopeful that they iron those out, though. We'll see. Switch can be a, a real mixed bag at times. So we'll see. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, oh, right, they're having problems with PS4 and PS5, but not the Switch. Is it just like, okay, we're good with the Switch? Or, man, this port's such a disaster. I thought the we're Switch just... was supposed to come out earlier. I don't know if so they're having I. a tough time getting it out. So, Yeah, I'm surprised, but uh, hopefully it gets here. Hopefully it gets here and it plays well. I mean, it's not that technically intense, but... That's what I was wondering about. There's a lot of... The new one, at least, has a lot of voice acting, but that should be... De- doable on any platform kuno kuno's wants kuno. a nintendo switch <laughs> kuno only cares about the kuno can you tell i've been playing a lot of disco elysium it's a good game and finally weird west and this one should be on our radar not yet because i i'm gonna just go out here and maybe maybe i'm spoiling my my next category here i think this is the game that has the chance i think this can be it i can think this can be the breakout hit of the fall yeah why do you say that it's by Devolver. Okay. Really interesting concept. It's kind of a fantastical Wild West. It's an isometric RPG. It has action components. There's a lot of choices to be made. It looks really pretty. And it is kind of, it's made by folks from Arcane. So former mm. Arcane Studio folks. It's kind of an immersive sim in that you can interact with a huge portion of the environment. The decisions that you make in each chapter carry over to the next chapter as you and each chapter features a new group of characters and the posses that you come together like is totally dependent on you there's a lot of interesting choices to be made here if it, it turns out to be good i could see this being the game that's yeah that's interesting i it just completely flew under my radar because heck i'd play a wild west rpg i actually did a long time ago it's uh, fantasy hear- wild west think dark fantasy tower wild west, that's different have you ever heard of um uh, Boot Hill Heroes. It was a. It was released a long time ago. It was it was an Earthbound clone that actually did get what Earthbound was about and and put its own spin on it really well. But yeah, it was a very cute little Western RPG. Uh, it had two parts. I only got to play the first part, but it's on Steam. It might be on consoles. I have no idea. Uh, again, it's quite an old game, but for the time, it was very very charming. I think that this game just manages to hit at all the right cross sections. Plus, it's on PC and it'll be on Xbox and PS4. I think. Mm-hmm. When it so comes it's out. coming, yeah. So it's coming to consoles right away. I feel that's getting mm-hmm. more and more important. I, it depends, right? There can be games that can be breakout hits on PC, just that's by true. being a PC game right from the start. I mean, look at Disco Elysium. Yeah, that's actually true. But then Hades really hit it when it came up to Switch. Or Loop Hero, honestly. Loop Hero, I have not gotten to play yet, but that's again, that'll be one on the Switch. I'm looking forward to. Yeah. So, uh, as usual, some interesting 
indie RPGs to be keeping an eye on. Okay, Nadia, time for the questions. What do we think will be the biggest RPG of fall 2021? What do you think, Nadia? I am going to go with, oh gosh, I want to say Tales of Arise has a good chance of taking it home. That's not to say others won't be hits. I think that Endwalker will have a lot of discussion around it. Uh, the Witcher 3, the remake, that's going to bring a lot of people into a classic RPG. So there's going to be a lot of discourse around that. Especially Waffling, if- Nadia, pick one. <laughs> All right, I'll pick it. I'm going with Tales of Arise. I feel like that has a lot of hype behind it. Interesting choice. I don't perceive the hype, but that might be because I work for a very mainstream publication. In fact, when we were doing a game scoop, I had to be like, by the way, Tales of Arise is coming on September. They're like, it just completely like passed their men- passed their notice on the release schedule. Uh, but if you're talking about uh, an RPG in an RPG space, like it feels like it has a lot more weight than. Of course, I'm not going to compare it to like the mainstream releases in general because it's a, a fly in the pond, practically, in that case. If it makes the leap, if any game in the series makes the leap, it's probably going to be this one because I think the odds are very stacked in its favor and it has favorable release window, favorable consoles. It looks really pretty. Um, it resembles another extremely insanely popular game in Genshin Impact, which, by the way, people are still playing that freaking game. And oh, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, it could grab a lot of notice, actually. I think so. I don't know about Breakout Hit. Kind of depends on, I think it kind of depends on how good the story ultimately is. Because if the story doesn't measure up, people might not be as into it. But maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it just needs to be as anime as hell because nobody's going to call Genshin Impact great art. So (laughs) That's true. Sometimes people just want good, solid gameplay alongside a a cheesy story. And if that's what delivers, then that's fine. I'd just be a little disappointed considering how great Vesperia was in the writing department. I think Witcher 3 and Next Gen is going to be the biggest RPG of the fall. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so many jokes like, yeah, 2021, we're going to be getting... All of the big new games of the fall, Skyrim, GTA 5, Witcher 3. It's just like, oh yeah, it's that time, isn't it? All the time for more remasters. It is time for the nostalgia cycle to cycle, and it is cycling. Diablo 2, you know that game. Yeah. But in all seriousness, Witcher 3 is insanely popular. I think it's going to get a huge boost from Witcher on Netflix coming back. It's going to look gorgeous if it's done properly. A lot of people are going to be picking it up just out of curiosity. It's going to re-enter the discourse in much the same way that Mass Effect Legendary Edition did. And we'll, we'll be, we will be talking about it, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think it will be a small win, at least, for CD Projekt Red, who are still kind of beaten down from Cyberpunk. Maybe you should play it, Nadia. Hint, hint. Yeah, I probably will. Um, heck, I have a PlayStation 5. I can't really can't really say oh well this game isn't going to look good it's going to look fantastic whereas on the switch it was a little bit cramped your moment has come just say stick with it until you hit the masquerade scene with tris okay nadia what sleeper rpg should we be watching i mean i'm gonna say weird west because i if i had heard of it i hadn't really thought about it until you'd mentioned it again and to to have like a, a fancy western rpg by a veteran studio or like people veteran people who are making a new studio uh, that sounds pretty compelling. I, I am going to keep an eye on that for sure. I think that Eastward has a non-zero chance of being that game. 
And that's true. I don't know if you can call it a sleeper, given that it was, it was kind of front and center in a lot of streams. Uh, there's a not there's an appreciable amount of hype behind it, but it really does look gorgeous. And it's going to be on Switch and PC, that magic Hades formula. So Yes, you're right. That is a very magic formula. Uh, I am certainly looking forward to Eastward. I, I'm a little worried because we don't know a lot about it still, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, that, that, that sprite art is just fantastic. Super Sleeper, Astria Ascending. If it turns out to be good, I kind of have my doubts because it is much more of a kind of a traditional experience. And I've found that those experiences, those turn-based experiences have that much harder of a time breaking through. But it is quite pretty. And if it gets really, really good reviews, watch out. Yeah, I think it all depends on the reviews. If you get a lot of nice reviews for the game combined with Twitter buzz, it could really combine into a a, um, a sleeper hit. And Super Duper Sleeper, it's a game called Game Deck. And it's kind of interesting. So it's a cyberpunk kind of disco Elysium, I think I was already mentioning. Much more focused on conversation. And the idea is that you go into these virtual worlds and they can vary. It's kind of going into people's fantasy worlds and helping them out. Uh, the preview that they showed had somebody helping a, a sex worker who was in a very, quote unquote, not safe for work world. So <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely trying to go for that uh, adult kind of thing and uh, the adult vibe. And yes. if it carries it off, it could end up getting a lot of attention. Um, I haven't heard a lot of hype for it, but that's why I call it a super duper sleeper. I think it's going to live or die by its writing because Disco Elysium yes. is all about their writing. Uh, if it's anything below Disco Elysium's writing, it's going to have a hard time. But it could have a hard it, time. It could end up being getting the unfavorable kind of comparisons. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. We got some interesting choices that could be coming along in terms of indie RPGs that end up making uh, making breaking out. There's a lot of wild cards this year. I look forward to things heating up. And finally, Nadia, what's your most anticipated RPG of 2021? I'm going with Endwalker. I of course am, you are. Of course I am. What, what else would I do? I mean, there's tons of games I'm looking forward to. Don't get me wrong, but Endwalker is the one that everyone in my immediate circle is buzzing about. So that that helps the hype. I think I'm most my most anticipated RPG is Shimagami Tensei Five. It's really good to have a new entry in this series. I really enjoyed Nocturne. I was very impressed by it. And I'm really excited to be playing a version that maybe combines all of the good aspects of this series and puts the core traditional Shimigami Tensei in front of the fans who have come in through Persona. I'm just glad it's coming out, period. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm like an expectant mother waiting. It's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Oh my God, you're a demon. Those games are so well done. And yeah. having some good technology behind them, I think, could really do a lot for the series. And it looks gorgeous on the Nintendo Switch. I am curious to see how accessibility is going to be now that a lot of Persona players are playing Shin Megami Tensei or are coming into Shin Megami Tensei. And admittedly, it is a, a bit more of a difficult, hardcore series compared to Persona. But I don't want to gatekeep or anything like that. God knows I'm good with whatever. Okay, Nadia, I won't. You don't have to gatekeep. It's fine. I'll gatekeep for you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Nadia, final question. What's our overall excitement level for the holiday season? I give it a B. I'm pretty excited. 
yeah, I, I'm not buzzing off the edge of my chair or anything like that, but I am very much looking forward to Endwalker, of course, looking forward to Shimigami Tensei. Maybe more of a B plus, especially if those breakouts really wind up being being breakouts. There's there's the potential for a lot of surprise. It's a I do like that image of you going <laughs> <laughs> just buzzing literally off your chair. Like a hummingbird. Yeah. It sure seems like 2022 is going to be the year, right? I mean, we say that a lot. It's like, but next year it's going to be amazing, <laughs> incredible. And then everything gets delayed out of that. But I mean, Starfield. It's, next it's year been, has yeah. Starfield and Elden Ring. That's a hell of a one-two punch. I'm sorry. Plus Breath of the Wild too. Like it's it's going to be a very, very big tentpole year, 2022. At least we say so. We don't know what's going to happen because of Delta because of the conductor shortages. So we'll just say, sure, 2022 is looking to be really fantastic on paper, but who knows? So if you compare and contrast to last generation, the PS4, Xbox One generation, this would be the equivalent of uh, 2014. And 2014, like by and large, kind of a stronger holiday season than what we are getting um, in the equivalent of year, the year after. When we got Dragon mm-hmm. Age Inquisition, in 2014 we got shadows of mordor in 2014 some like really like really big games right and there's a lot a lot of that is to do with delta a lot of it is to do with the changing shape of games in general but it is something to keep in mind right that like yeah this this holiday season kind of looks weaker like in terms of the big super big triple a releases at least that's not to say that there's nothing to look forward to um it's just a lot more like uh, more niche experiences or it's going to be more scattered, I think, unless one of these games really catches fire and ultimately takes off. I think Tales of Arise probably does actually have a better chance of outselling, say, SMT5 or that kind of thing, because SMT5 is such a specific experience in so many ways. Whereas, and I think Tales of Arise will be getting in front of more eyeballs. Yeah, but Shin Megami Tensei also does have that influx of Persona users, but who knows if they'll stick around. Some a lot might, of Switch a lot fans, might. too. Good a install base. Has a really fantastic install base. I, But at the same time, I can't even put them head-to-head because they're such, for such different audiences. Of I'll course, be some playing them like, both. Exactly. I was going to say, nerds yeah. like us will play them different both. Different experiences, too, like peanut butter very, and jelly. Very, very different. One's very yeah. like anime-focused, very action-focused, and the other is very tactics and very dark. Yeah, exactly. So... Different systems, different games. For all I, I can see them selling practically neck and neck. Frankly, Endwalker is going to be huge. Yeah, Endwalker is going to be a real big deal. I can't wait till all the servers crash. It's going to be nuts because all of the the new influx of FF14 fans, when that game comes out, it's going to be very much in the discourse for at least a week until we forget about something else or uh, or the world does something else horrible who knows yeah uh i find final fantasy 14's fan base really really endures like they uh, they're extremely active so the discourse is going to stick around for a long time whether for better or for worse we don't know at this point I, I i'm looking forward to whatever can be thrown at me i have to say it's been an interesting game since all those new people came in and all those new names like the other day, I saw a cat girl named Barack Obama. <laughs> Stupid okay. stuff. My, uh, actually, the other uh, the, yesterday, I saw someone named first name, where am I? Second name, this isn't wow. And I thought that was great. So just a lot of that going on. That's good. I have to admit, it gives That's me a good. laugh. It'll be the holiday season of the remaster, replaying all of our old favorites for the hundredth time. 
get ready for GTA sure. 5 and Skyrim and Diablo and everything else. Witcher 3. Witcher 3. I have no plans to play GTA 5 in any format, so I'm good Me there. neither. Screw there that game. So there's one off the list. And honestly, I'm not going to play Skyrim. It's just not happening. We'll talk about it. Maybe I'll dabble, but come on. It's friggin' Skyrim again. If the fishing is good, that's what it depends on for me. If it's it not depends good, on the I'm fishing not, being good. It all depends on the fishing. But I am more than ready to move on to Elder Scrolls 6. So, God, everybody is. It's been Everybody's. 10 years. And we keep buying Skyrim, and Todd Howard keeps laughing at us, and I <laughs> can't get mad because we're the idiots. No, I will be playing Witcher 3. Oh, blood and wine. Time to finish that expansion. Yeah, I will definitely be dedicating my some of my time to Witcher 3. It's about it's time. It's about time for me to get off my ass. And Weird West, come on, be good. Yeah. Be good, please Weird be good. West. Fingers crossed. <laughs> for the love of God, please be good. That's all I can say. <laughs> for the love of God, please be good. Please be good. I think we got the wrong lunches. <laughs> Swap them. Oh, yeah, I didn't think this was for me. Oh, memories. That is our fall RPG preview for 2021. I'd love to know. What's your most anticipated RPG? You should send us a note. I'm at cat at bloodgodpod.com. Leave us a comment in the show notes over on the Patreon or leave us a note on our Discord in the mailbag channel. Or finally, my DMs are open on Twitter, the underscore catbot. And meanwhile, Nadia is on Twitter at Nadia Oxford. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about RPGs. We got more PC RPG quests to look forward to. Um, we have a $50 patron idea that we still need to get to. Lots to cover. So we're never short of ideas here on Axe of the Blood God. And oh my God, it's time to review Dales of Arise. That's next week, isn't it? That is next week. Yep. Our schedule is going to start getting cramped, more and more crammed, Nadia. <laughs> yeah, I think the summer vacation is over. Not that we had much of one. Well, I've dedicated this whole month to Tales, so Tales of Arise better be good so I don't look stupid. <laughs> Come on, Tales, don't screw us here. We'll be back next week, but until then, for Nani and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. This is me speaking to Nadia in the future. Yes. Hi, Nadia in the future. Hi. No, this is Nadia in the present. I'm talking to Nadia in the future. <laughs>